Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. The F1 schedule is heating up. Will you go with the O, Reliable, and Max Verstappen, or... Take your chance with a potential surprise. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of your screen somewhere. Or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Harini. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write reviews. It really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Harini. And joining me today from uh, Fangraphs, it's... Michael Bauman. Michael, what's going on, dude? Nothing much. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's been a while. Actually, well, it hasn't been that long, has it? It's been a month. Yeah. Been a month? Yeah. All right. You've talked to other people since then. I'll forgive you. <laughs> but I text you uh, quite. We text. We text. Yeah. Often. We're always in touch. <laughs> uh, Lewis Hamilton. So let's get right into it. Thursday, yeah. media day, come to a close for the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, Lewis Hamilton contract talks obviously on this show we talked about it for the past uh past week and a big portion of it was the article that came out of the uh, daily mail last sunday i believe it was sunday evening and the fact that it stated hamilton was going to be offered a 40 million pound so 50 million usd uh contract from ferrari even it even made mention in their Bauman like that Ferrari president, like John Elkin, was going to be making the offer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where's this article coming from? Like, it's absolutely outrageous at some points. But uh, Hamilton today, obviously, um, confirmed that he is working closely. His team is working closely with uh, Total Wolf, Mercedes boss Total Wolf, um, to get a deal done, and something should be on the horizon with them. Fairly soon, obviously Ferrari, Ferrari's Frederick Vasseur, he also uh, denied uh, the report as well. I mean, what do you think about this story? I mean, like, obviously people get bored when there's no racing going on, but, man. Oof. Yeah, the first thing I thought was, man, it's good to have the rumor mill back. Because it big seems rumor. like <laughs> at the top, you know, at the top of the grid, all these guys are locked in for multiple years, except for Hamilton, who's been very comfortable to sort of roll on one or two years at a time at Mercedes. But also, when this was coming out, I just didn't understand what the angle was for really anybody. Because mm-hmm. uh, bringing Hamilton in would either upset Charles Leclerc or upset that balance of the team being built around him or maybe be a precursor to him leaving because uh, his contract's up at the end of next year. And I didn't get the angle for Hamilton because I would understand if Mercedes being, they're kind of spinning their wheels right now. He's running out of time. He very, very badly seems to want the eighth driver's title that eluded him in 2021. And I would totally understand him even after 10 years with that, uh, with Mercedes and, and, you know, being brought through McLaren when McLaren was the Mercedes mm-hmm. works team, uh, him leaving that relationship behind in, in a chance to get one last right, you know? And, but I don't know that Ferrari is in any better shape than Mercedes is right now. It, you know, they're also questioning their car concept. They're also just as far behind Red Bull as, as Mercedes is right now. It doesn't seem like there's any other, option with the kind of upside that that you know would make sense to me for to to tempt Hamilton away from Mercedes. So I just it makes sense that both both Ferrari and Hamilton have sort of 
poo-pooed this rumor now that they've finally had a chance to to be asked about it because i'd never really got the angle it does seem it would make sense if there is actually any smoke to this that this would be the kind of thing that would come from you know the the ferrari senior management uh and not from anybody within the racing team and i wouldn't uh if i were lewis hamilton i mean i wouldn't go just to ferrari for the sake of having more money i mean like you like you just said i mean the car concept for them is not really there right now i mean it's there over one lap but it's not there for a full race distance i mean obviously mercedes is isn't there either but if we look at the two operations i mean mercedes is a fully fit championship winning team and they've only done a little bit of tinkering with the internals of that team over the last few months and i mean it's outside of that i mean this is still uh this is still going to be a team i think that is going to make this comeback, whether it's late this season or into next, they're going to figure this out very quickly, even though they do have to write the ship um, quite fast. I mean, they are bringing upgrades for this weekend. Um, the upgrades they will be introducing are new side, new side pods, floor, new front suspension, rear suspension. Not quite sure. Haven't seen the images yet. They kind of kept that hidden. Um, you seen the side pods? I've seen some of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think like it's heartbreaking, man. Uh, like, yeah. I know the old ones didn't work, but I did like the, you know, the same thing with the the first Aston Martin concept from last year. That there was so much visual variation between these cars, it was very, it was a lot of fun, and I thought that the Aston last year and the Mercedes with the zero side pod concept were like very cool looking cars. And it turns out they just weren't very fast, so they had to get junked, and now everything sort of looks Red Bully. Um, but yeah, th- finish your what you're well. But the problem is with, with this, like when I when I look at just the side pod concept, like as a whole. I mean, I think like the biggest the biggest issue that they're facing with trying to turn this thing around quickly is that side impact structure um, that they they have, which is new. It's been it was introduced. Uh, seasons ago uh or coming into 2022 if i remember correctly or maybe it was 2021 i can't remember it was one or the other but anyways it's a portion of the side pod that like basically they've built it where it comes outside of the side pod instead of what other teams are doing they have it built within the entire um tub of the car instead this comes out of the tub i think one of the huge issues with like their side pod configuration and what they've brought uh, which was supposed to be for Imola, but obviously they have to do it in Monaco. I think that affects like a lot of the a lot of the things with this car, and that's not something that you can quickly no. replace or build because of the spend, the amount of money that's going to cost them. I mean, that's definitely an off season project for them. So it just kind of feels like they're like gluing bits on, and let's see if this kind of works. And it's, I don't want to call it a Frankenstein car, but it's like you know we have little parts here, 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 but like the. They don't really have much downwash into those side pods either. I mean, if you look at the Aston Martin, they have these huge gullies, right? Same with Red Bull. Good big gullies going back to the diffuser and the beam wing. So I'm, I don't know, man. It is going to be a difficult thing for them to turn around, but I think if any team's going to do it, it's going to be them, right? Yeah. I mean, the, it's not the kind of thing you can fix in season. It's sort of a, a, I don't know if it's a macro or micro version of what McLaren's going through, where they sort of realize that they need to junk everything and start over too late to do that for this season. But it's not just a matter of changing out the side pods. It's 
a whole unified design that was a completely different direction than everybody else. Like the, you know, if they're going to go in the Red Bull direction, like that doesn't start with the side pods. That starts with the suspension. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's a, an off season project, you know, based on some of the incredible engineering that they've done in the past, I understand why you'd be optimistic about their ability to claw back this advantage, but I am skeptical. I think that if there was another option, I would, I think it would be wise for Lewis Hamilton to explore it, but because Mercedes ability to build the fastest car on the grid, basically eight years running was based on two things that they don't really have anymore. One was that they got such a huge head start on everybody else at the start of the V6 turbo hybrid era that that advantage carried through all the way basically until 2019 when Ferrari made a illegal, um, similarly powerful engine. And uh, really in 2021 when Honda finally caught up with the Red Bull. And they don't have that advantage to work with anymore. And the other thing is they had a huge economic and resource advantage, which is now neutered because of the cost cap. So I don't think it's just, just a matter of just, you know, oh, they'll fix it because James Allison's back working hands-on with the team every day. Like, I think that they still have to prove that they can not only keep up with Red Bull in terms of development, but they have to go so much, they have to make so much more progress because they're starting from so far behind. And Red Bull not only came out of the gates with the fastest car, they've been developing it better. And, you know, you've got to, you don't just have to make incremental gains, you have to reverse a current trend. And that's why I, you know, I hope Mercedes comes back and, and, gets Lewis Hamilton a championship uh, contending car before he ages out of the sport, but I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, definitely be tough. I mean, if we look at it, this thing could possibly be two, maybe three years away, and we're still not certain how Red Bull's sporting penalty is going to affect them. Is it Has it already affected them? And if so, they, <laughs> you, know, you don't really see it, or is it going to be something that is going to affect them for next season's car where they've just front-loaded everything? They've made a badass car getting out of the gates, and will everybody start to claw them back and including in that Mercedes? But again, you know, like yeah. you so eloquently put it, I mean, they've got a giant ship to kind of turn around here and go in a different direction. So who succeeds here at Monaco? I mean, with uh, when we take a look at, you know, Mercedes bringing this upgrade, I mean, this isn't the ideal place for a team to bring an upgrade to. It is unfortunate of the circumstances that set everything back in Imola and um, everything that's going on there, those poor people, a lot of people losing their homes and stuff and not having that race going forward. And for Mercedes, you know, they actually had the upgrade there and then they had to ship it uh, to Monaco from Imola. And so um, if you look at it from a, you know, financial aspect, it just would have cost way too much money to send the old car to Monaco and, and, and run it. So they've had to revert to using this upgrade, but I don't know, man. This isn't a great place to use it because one of them crashes. They don't really have like a ton of spare parts to really slap this thing together. And yeah. you're not really getting a lot of data from the car either because you don't have fast corners here. And the, the aero data you're going to get is not going to be the greatest. I don't think it can, you know, it doesn't hurt to bring the the new version of the car. It's not like you'll learn nothing driving it in, in Monaco. I, but the danger of of running out of spares, like they would probably have been running down their stockpile of of spare parts for the old package, 
you know, and so they might be running low on on you know the old specs side pods or you know wings or whatever they're they're bringing the, the old floor uh and the walls are closer in monaco than they are they are anywhere else so it's a dangerous place to drive no matter what um i i think it's just you do the best you can here and then you figure out like the barcelona as much as i don't really enjoy watching the racing there like that is that seems to be the yep. best test track and so you'll get all the data you need uh, when they go to Spain. And so you you know just gut it out in Monaco and and get to work in earnest uh, next time around. And the thing with Monaco is, I mean, it's such a different type of you know racetrack. It's slow. There are no really long straightaways like you had mentioned. A lot of walls. I think Red Bull is one of those teams who are going to struggle uh, this weekend at this track, only because a lot of the things that make the team strong and the advantages in the advantages that they do have with certain types of tracks this is not one of them and so this doesn't really suit the strengths of their car i mean i think just for them it's difficult for just j- just to get the tire in the right operating window just to set a really good qualifying lap i mean the car is great in the race but over a quality distance it takes them a while so i don't i don't particularly think they're they're going to be strong here man i really don't no, I think this is a track that's going to play against them, but there are a couple of reasons to uh, to suspect that they'll probably win anyway. One of them is it's just the fastest car all around, whether or not the the areas where it's strongest, you know, passing with the DRS, you know, the high-speed corner performances is, is sort of nullified here. The other thing is they've got the last two winners, and, you know, Sergio Perez is somebody who raises his game on street circuits, and I think Max Verstappen is driving better than anybody else uh, on the grid at this moment. So if this is a place where it's all about precision and all about the driver, and that that's where I think a lot of the romance or the mythology comes around this track that it's really a test of of the best drivers they have two of the best drivers for this circuit and so i certainly think that this is probably the this is probably the best chance for somebody whether that's fernando alonso and an aston martin that would seem to have a lot of its disadvantages mitigated by the nature of this track or charles leclerc if he can keep it out of the wall for once here uh one of those guys could pull out something special and break that Red Bull winning streak, but I wouldn't count on it. I would still expect, you know, probably a Verstappen win in both Red Bulls on the podium. You make a good mention there with Aston Martin and Ferrari. I mean, I I really think they're going to be more competitive than, than Red Bull will be this weekend. I mean, Ferrari in particular, he made a good point with Charles Leclerc. <laughs> the guy's got zero luck. He wants it so bad. I feel so <laughs> like I feel so bad for him because it's it's yeah. not like it, he he's making these mistakes because he's overdriving the car because like nobody wants to win anywhere as badly as he wants to win here. Well, he could have had a chance last season, Bauman, but the team blew it on the strategy. Right, and by the so, way, like that's you want to talk about why Lewis Hamilton wouldn't go to Ferrari? Like, <laughs> man, he gets passive aggressive on the radio. I, could you imagine what he would do if <laughs> if that happened? If what happened to Leclerc last year happened to him? Oh man, it wouldn't go over well. That's for sure. I think uh, for Ferrari, I mean, obviously with the strategic play. You know, get that out of the window. I think Charles Leclerc would have been on for the win uh, that year at his home race. So, uh, you know, I I don't know, man. If he wins this weekend, Monaco is going to go crazy. 
Yeah, it will. It just will. Man. It's a, I mean, he's got his younger brother racing in Formula Two this weekend as well. I mean, the place would go absolutely bonkers to see both of them get a win at their uh, at their home track. Are you calling incredible. it? You calling the the Leclerc double in F one and F two? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not doing that. Um, probably we'll have some upgrades uh, for this weekend. Uh, but again, I mean, this is a step in the direction for that team where I mean they've they've made it known that they're not they're not going to be bringing big upgrades to the car it's going to be a slower pro- process of you know bringing smaller upgrades to the car this is something that Alpine did last season and I think it's a smart move on Ferrari's part just so they can get a better understanding of where they're at because I still don't think they really even know to be perfectly honest with you and looking at this track could be something that suits them I mean who do you think's going to going to win this thing because when we take a look at the race as a whole, it's really one on Saturday. Yeah. It just is. And, like, do we need a new qualifying format? Well, I'm glad you brought this up because I've been thinking about this a lot. With It's, it's not as hard to pass with the new cars here. Or at least it wasn't last year as it was in, in years previous. Uh, but, you know, this is the most thrilling qualifying run of the year followed by a parade and barring some changeable weather barring you know some strategic blunder and even then the like the consequences of that is limited at monaco in a way that that it's not at at other tracks like this is a this is a procession and 78 laps is a lot to watch for that so i you know this has led to some people saying, "Oh, we should take Monaco off the cir- off the the calendar. It's it's not fit for modern F one cars." Uh, but I've been kicking around ideas, and one of the I, my favorite of which, uh, <clears throat> Elizabeth Blackstock wrote about at Jalopnik earlier this week. She was inspired by something Denny Hamlin said about uh, NASCAR maybe adopting a bracket where you have two drivers pitted against each other for a playoff and whoever finishes higher in the race between those two drivers advances. She suggested something like that for a qualifying event in Monaco. And I think that's, you know, you make it all about the qualifying. It's the way that, that I think you go forward with, with Monaco. So, you know, you have, I, um, you know, I know you're a cycling person, which mm. you admonished me that you're not just a cycling person when <laughs> a Canadian wins Paris-Roubaix Femme. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, you know that every cycling race has different formats, different challenges, and some of them are individual time trials. And I think it would be very cool to see just line up all 20 cars and give them one shot. And whoever gets the fat, you know, Random draw for qualifying order, uh, run them all one after another, get all those close up shots of them going through the chicane, kick, you know, kissing the, the barrier with the front tires, Martin Brundle going nuts in the commentary booth for each one. <laughs> and then, you know, you line them up the end of Saturday and pay out some kind of points because I think it's important to, to have like, the engineering and the driving element combined and you know whether you go full points for for the time trial or whether it's you know 10 9 8 whatever you know sprint qual or you know the sprint amount of points whatever and then on sunday you put them all in some kind of smaller car that's easier to drive close and pass whether that's you know uh elizabeth's article said spec miatas because that's the the gag at um um, at Jalopnik, but whether you know whether it's that or like F three cars, you put them all in Fiat five hundreds or something. Um, 
and have him like do an exhibition race on Sunday and no points, but like the winning driver gets a million dollars or something like that. And that, that I think would, would reinvigorate the, the spectacle of racing in Monaco. And I think it would focus fans attention on something that, uh, that highlights the challenge while also retaining a lot of the drama. Cause now it's just, you know, like you said, it's all over on Sunday or it's all over on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, you sit around. What what has frustrated me about a lot of races so far this season is not just the predictability of you know a Red Bull winning and Fernando Alonso finishing third, which has happened four times in five races. It's that we get teased with stuff. Oh, Max Verstappen biffed his qualifying lap. Oh, you know there could be weather. There could be um, unexpected tire degradation. That just doesn't happen. And you just sit around waiting for something happening, something to happen, and nothing does. That's just the most disappointing thing you can go through as a spectator. And so just narrowing that focus onto qualifying, raising the jeopardy, giving you one shot, and then coming back on Sunday and just doing something fun. You know, I, I think F1 could be a little less self-serious sometimes and and uh, having all these guys whiz around and go-karts or, or F3 cars or something uh, could be a lot of fun. Could be a lot of... It could, and it would also, like, you know, answer the age-old question of who's fastest in equal machinery. You know, I, I would really like to see that. I like the idea. I like certain parts of it. I think, um, you know, you made a good point. I mean, the season so far, I mean, it hasn't been hasn't been very good. I mean, obviously, because of the, the Red Bull advantage, but kudos to them. That's part of Formula One, and they made a kick-ass yeah, car. Yeah, it's not their fault. Like, yes, they're the, le- they're the li- last people to blame. Literally, like, dude. You can, literally. You can get bored watching yes. them win, but they've they've done their jobs. Yes. You can't yeah. have any issue yeah. with you know them building such a good yeah. car. Adrian Newey and company have done like an incredible job, and the sophistication on that car is blows my brains yeah. but outside of that i mean if you take away red bull and you just focus on you know the aston martins the ferraris the mercedes i mean that battle actually is pretty cool and that's if that were a championship battle i mean that we would be in we would be in a very good season we'd be in a great season if that was what we had to deal with but we don't so i like the idea for qualifying i i think you do something where you you line everyone up in pit lane, and you go by championship order. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, on the Friday, you only get one practice session. That's it. You get 60 minutes, and you're done. Saturday, you get just qualifying. That's it. And all, how you run it, get everybody in pit lane, you go in championship order. So Verstappen starts first for his quality lap, get the prep lap, and then straight into one lap quality. That's it. That's that's how you set the grid, you know, for Monaco. And then at the end of the day, I mean, they can't do this right now, but you got to make the cars smaller and you got to make them a little bit lighter because they're way too big for Monaco. It's they so it's so fresh. And it, it like this is a problem, I think, with the direction of the sport in general is that like you what the what they're trying to do to attract engine manufacturers and or OEMs or, you know, getting Honda back into the sport, for instance, is there has to be a focus on hybrid technology and also the cars are getting bigger because of safety. And like, I'm not going to argue against having, you know, the big resilient carbon fiber tub and the, you know, the halo and all that, which adds weight and, Mm -hmm. you know, makes the cars wider and heavier. But, you know, I I don't want to see people dying in their Lotus 
49s or whatever, mm-hmm. but um everything like just the the mandates of the sport and also the standardization of of a lot of parts of a lot of you know the the rigidity of the rule book there's not a whole lot of variation that's that's out there to be to be had and so what i would like to see is something personally i think like electric cars in terms of an environmental uh panacea are kind of a scam like obviously all things being equal you want to have cleaner energy and it's more efficient to get your energy at the source than to make it in your inline four and your subaru but you know it there's a lot of concerns about mining it makes the cars heavier you know and it also takes away from the fact that you could build a very small very powerful very efficient internal combustion engine nowadays and that's just not the engine formula that's allowed so i would like to you know in a perfect world i would like to see the hybrid route be open but also to maybe have like an emissions cap or a fuel efficiency cap like this is how much fuel you get to go through the race and that part of the engine homologation is you could you know your car has to burn this clean and otherwise it could just be anything and that could lead to teams you know building smaller more efficient uh engines that don't have this big bulky hybrid component unfortunately well, I think that's a part of that. never going to happen. Now. Like this is like well, what I, I, I would do if I were dictator of the world. But I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say never going to happen. I mean, I honestly think that the 2026 engine regulation actually focuses a lot on what you're actually saying. I think you know the goal with that is obviously to try and make the the engines a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, and then increase the electrical component. But can those things be made smaller? And then we still don't know what the the biofuels are going to be like the synthetic fuels that they're working on like we we still don't we still don't know i mean if that turns out to be a big time game changer i mean could that change a bit of formula one i mean sure why not could that change the automotive market sure why not and so it's all up for a, a bit of interpretation when we get to 2026 but yeah i i don't see why they can't make the cars a little bit smaller a little bit lighter when we get to that uh, when we get to that uh, time point, because they just can't. It just it just looks like we're heading. Well, you in that set out to so. you set out to do it though, and like just the electric having an electrical component adds so much weight anyway. And then they set the target, and it just gets it. You know, like a person, you know, just ad- gradually gets heavier and heavier as you make com- compromises, and that's you know, there's no countervailing force against that. And so I, I just think the cars are going to continue to get bigger and heavier regardless of what the intentions are, as long as they, you know, have such strict regulations, as long as they have the cost cap, as long as they, you know, insist on making hybrids a part of it. Because I think that's a big part of the marketing. You know, do you got, you know, you guys get the, the Honda commercial up there the where they go through, you know, oh, you can make motorcycles, but, you know, can you race cars? Can you race cars? But can you win? Like, the line is, can you win Formula One in a hybrid? Mm, and, okay. you know, and so that's a, a big part of it is they're, you know, they're saying we're advancing this green technology. And, you know, the way Formula One did with gearbox technology in the 90s or adaptive suspension and all these breakthroughs that eventually filter into mass market or into consumer products. I don't. Not really sure that's happening. I think it's just reflecting we want to have hybrid. And, you know, that has advantages for the sport. You know, I think that it leads to some interesting tactical options in terms of of, uh, overtaking and, you know, different uh, uh, battery deployment modes. But it's, 
you know, it comes with a huge weight and cost and complexity factor. And if you want to, you know, you want to know why these cars are too big to race at Monaco, like, that's why. I had I had this conversation, something similar, um, with a buddy of mine earlier uh, this week. And we ended up, like, getting down to even talking about, like, DRS and, like, do we really need DRS, DRS, right? And it's kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, but I honestly would love to see them, since we're getting into this anyways, and we're going to talk about Aston Martin and uh, Honda in a minute here. I think having having another uh, strategy or form of deployment instead of DRS would be much better for Formula 1. I think like a push to pass like they have in Mm -hmm. IndyCar, I mean it doesn't have to be what IndyCar does, but something similar to that where maybe you use No, I was just going to say like we're complaining about F1 let's just just follow IndyCar full time like, you know, let's get back to these jokers (laughs) when Mercedes and Ferrari get their act together and in the meantime we'll talk about IndyCar no, but seriously though, I think like they can definitely. I I think that would also add another element to the show for sure, and on track. Mm-hmm. And you give them however many seconds or minutes or whatever. Like you could do it in so many different ways. Where maybe that attack mode is essentially using a bigger part of the battery component. And maybe that's something that they could t- take a look at for twenty twenty six. Because I honestly think that that would, I think that would help a lot of things. Because even if you're looking at like an in lap. For instance, let's say Verstappen has a three, four, five second lead, right? And you're in second place, and you need to try and claw into a bit of that gap before they, before Max does, does his pit stop. So, yeah, you just lay on the boost, or you, you know, push the pass, or whatever you want. You give yourself an extra, nos. yeah, you, you know, you give yourself an extra fifty horsepower, sixty horsepower, whatever, you, whatever it is, whatever it will be. And that's going to help shrink that time gap. So then you're going to make things, okay, the race is going to be a little bit more interesting, right? You don't have to be within a second to make a pass, or you don't have to be you know, under a second to make a pass, or whatever. You can use it on an outlap. Like, there's so many different ways to make that work. I just think that would be something that would be fascinating. Yeah. But, you know, looking at the 2026 um, engine power unit regulations, but also taking a look at the works teams. There's six of them now on the grid, thanks to the uh, Aston Martin and Honda deal that uh, was the news came out earlier this week on uh, Wednesday or Tuesday. When did I get that? I think it was Tuesday. I got it. I don't even remember. Four it was, customer. It was teams. the middle of the night. It was like. Well, actually, I gotten it earlier, eh? <laughs> <laughs> gotten the news earlier in the day. And oh, I you got just, the, the embargo yeah, or the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got like everything, and they're like, "Okay, you can't say anything." And I'm like, "Until this time." And I'm like, "All right, cool." And then they, yeah, I got to do a bunch of interviews and stuff. It was cool. It was a, yeah, it was a great I, opportunity. I, I, it was like I remember it was either Monday or Tuesday because I was covering a baseball game and I got home and checked Twitter. And I'm like, why are all the UK based F1 journalists I follow awake at this hour? And it's because they were doing that big, uh, big launch event in Japan. And it was like, but it was surprising. Like, like go to bed, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. We were I was up until I want to say midnight with that. I think it was around. That yeah, time. I mean, for, you know. It was it's a reasonable good. time for you, but like, yeah, Nate Saunders needs to get sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for those guys, I mean, I think they were they were up a little earlier in the morning than what they wanted to be. Um, so yeah, six works teams now for on the grid for twenty twenty six, and then you've got four at the moment four customer teams on the grid, which is Williams, McLaren, Haas, AlphaTauri. Um, just some updated news on the Aston Martin Honda deal. 
A uh, couple notes on that. As I heard from team principal Mike Crack earlier today, uh, he confirmed that the deal actually goes until 2030. Um, and I think for them, it's important, you know, moving forward, Bauman to 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 have a, a an OEM yeah. to work with. I mean, I think with these new 2026 regulations uh, that are going to be coming in, I don't I don't think it's going to be like uh, earlier formulas. I think this is. You, I think you need to have an OEM, and I think you need to have some of those people, like on site as well, so you can you can build a competitive car and try and win championships. I honestly think that that's going to be the the direction of this this formula. I really do. Yeah, and I I mean that's always been important, or at least it's been important for the past thirty. Well, if you look years, at like Red Bull, right? I mean, like Red Bull was competitive with Renault engines, and they were just building. Incredible but they were the cars. de facto works team for most of the time that they were winning because you know uh, yeah, Renault got a little bit. Ren- oh no, Renault, Renault got out still, of it. Yeah, like Renault yeah. was, in the, but then also Renault was was also they eventually started supplying engines elsewhere as well, and then they came. Yeah, they came. They back, got they got they out and back, came back in. Yeah, and, exactly. And yeah, so there were some for them though. It was important, like because like when you get an engine, and you already, I'm sure you already know all this, but when you get a when you get a power unit from if you're a customer team, you kind of have to build your car around whatever they're giving you. So in Aston Martin's case, not only do they get, you know, the engine from Mercedes, they also get the rear end and the gearbox and rear suspension yeah. port uh, components. And so you can't really build it the way your engineers want it to be exactly. And so you're losing performance by doing that. And I think if, if you're if you're involved with an OEM or you're involved with an engine manufacturer and you can keep everything in house, I think you're going to be that much more competitive eventually if you start off on the wrong foot or whatever, but you'll still eventually gain that ground back. I just think for these customer teams and Gunther Steiner doesn't seem to think so, but I think personally, I think for the customer teams, they'd be in a little bit of trouble with this. I mean, if we look at like Williams, if they're yeah. still going to get everything from Mercedes, I mean, technically they're not building everything themselves anymore right yeah and it's it's always been that that way that having if not engine design input but you know have being able to be that one step ahead in terms of building your car you know in partnership with the engine engine manufacturer instead of getting it off the shelf it was once possible to for a customer team to to win a chance you know you think of braun i think one of the years that benetton won uh, with Michael Schumacher, they they had Renault engines, I think, and, were, and Williams was the Renault Works team at the time. Um, but those were very rare even then. Now you think about how many more things, like you said, the not even like getting in the suspension, but you've just got more components to your power unit now than you did when it was just the, you know, just the uh, the V10 ICE. And now you know there's so many other things that you have to fit in that physical package and optimizing weight distribution. It's such a huge leg up. And for that reason, you know, we've, we've seen Renault when it struggled to beat first Red Bull and then McLaren, when they were uh, um, using the same power unit recently, like you have to really screw things up in order to not beat your customer teams. And so I do think that there, you know, there's the explicit partnership between Red Bull and AlphaTauri and the, very close technical relationship, like you said, between Williams and Mercedes and then Ferrari and Haas. And now there's going to be, you know, Aston Martin's going to be a works team and Audi's going to be a works team. And, you know, I really do think we're going to see two classes of, 
you know, not like that class stratification didn't already exist, but it's going to get more pronounced, like you said, because the even if everybody's spending the same, the amount of flexibility you have as a customer team, you know, you just can't pursue or optimize your design path uh, in the same way you can if you, you know, have more information and more detail, and more input into the power unit. Absolutely. Think about if you're McLaren. I mean, it's McLaren. They're lost right? in the wilderness. Yeah, like you know, it's, that's they're still you know using Mercedes engines, but like maybe some of their technical leaders don't want the be the battery to be placed in a certain area, and they need it to be placed in another area. And Mercedes can't accommodate for that because they've got their championship to worry about. And so you then have to design everything around with whatever they're giving you. And so that in itself, that's a yeah, you're taking yourself almost almost out of the game at that point. Um, McLaren, like, and all these teams to not just at you know mostly Aston Martin and McLaren have have expressed a desire to you know get from where they are now to to championship contention. And I really do think you you will eventually need a works engine deal to get there. And McLaren has just in terms of that messy Honda divorce, and then. You know the how they were left in the wilderness, and the fact that they couldn't come to a deal with Audi. Which you know, if the parameters were Audi needs to k- take control, I can understand why uh, McLaren wouldn't be interested in that. But they've been left without a chair when the music stopped, and I think they're going to be the big loser unless they can get somebody else to come in um, and partner with them. For you know, God, it's probably too late for twenty six now. Uh, yeah, it, getting there, right? I mean, I wonder if like if a deal with Porsche would be on the table at all, and I'd be interested to know if you know if Zach and McLaren had conversations with Porsche at all. I mean, it'd be fascinating to know. But I mean, you got Ford coming in now, and then yeah, I mean, obviously if Andretti gets in, it, that's a you know your Cadillac GM, but that's more of a branding exercise than it actually yeah, is. It feels I think. like. Cadillac stickers on a on somebody else's engine. Is yeah, cool. that's that's what I was thinking too. I was thinking something similar. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think for Aston Martin getting uh, getting Honda. I mean, this is just a clear sign that Lawrence Stroll isn't screwing around. I mean, after he no. took over this team in 2018, I mean, he's changed this whole thing. This whole t- this whole team, this whole dynamic. If you think of it, and you look at them. The way they are now, I mean, you've got some very big talent that he's pulled in and hired, that the team has pulled in and hired. You've now got a works deal with an engine manufacturer, which is going to be huge once 2026. You've also got a technical partnership with Aramco, um, and that collaboration is more in-depth than I think people actually know, where you know Ramco is going to be a big component in terms of the sustainable fuels and so these are big collaborations, Bauman. I mean, like he's like he's really pulled together a huge team here, and it's it's, it's clear as day. Like this guy, just we're gonna we're gonna win. That that's it. That's his mindset. Like I think Lawrence Lawrence Stroll can be a little bit of a Trumpian figure. You know, he comes in with a lot of bluster, and he's like, "Well, I'm rich, so I win at everything, and we're gonna win at everything now." And um. It's taken a little bit for him to back it up, but now with the you know getting Fernando Alonso on board, having building a successful car for the first time under Aston Martin, you know developing new factory, and now getting that works engine deal for twenty six, it's who knows if it's going to work. 
Like, who knows if they're going to end up with a race-winning car or ever challenge for a championship or, or where this all ends up. But he's doing all the right things. Like, he's making all the investments that you need to make in order to close that gap. And so, you know, I think I was skeptical on whether he would eventually walk the walk, but this certainly seems to be... Anything he's gotten, you know, involved, I don't know what more you could ask from, yeah, like, from, from them in terms of investment. Anything he's ever gotten involved with, he's made it successful, like very successful. And when I found out about this back in you know 2018 and what he was doing, I'm like, he's going to be successful. This is no, no question about it. He's, he knows how to he knows how to do this business, and he's been involved in Formula One like since I was. Uh, around like i was like a kid so this isn't like a new sort of thing for him he does know the sport inside and out i think yeah but how many how many times have we seen people who have always been successful and have lots of money and you know come in and talk a big game that's still no guarantee of of success yeah they're showing it which now, i though. guess it still isn't with aston martin you know they've still got a long way to go they've you know haven't won a race as aston martin so um you know, at this point, I would have to believe they will at some point. But we'll see what happens at maybe, the end of this weekend. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I think, honestly, man, Alonso, I think wins. That's what I'm. I'm going to say it right now. I think Alonso wins. That would be fun. That would be a lot. That would really be a lot of fun, and I think it would be the perfect like narrative capstone to the way the first part of the season is gone. Um, I don't know. I'm just really pessimistic. I just don't think God. I don't think God loves us enough to give us the fun outcome that that we deserve. Um, I think it's going to be another Red Bull, probably another Verstappen win. Well, uh, I think- and if that happens, like at what point do you start rooting for Red Bull to run the table? Oh yeah, good question, man. I I I don't know. I still I still need to like. Even though it's only been like what five rounds? What are we? Five rounds going into the sixth round here? I think if I'm, my math is correct. I don't know. I yeah. Fucking wrong. But my thing is, is that we still haven't gotten teams really bringing upgrades to the cars. I mean, this will be for Mercedes their first weekend, and then Ferrari has brought like little tiny things with a bigger push coming for Spain Aston Martin hasn't really brought anything they brought a tiny bit for this weekend and that is it and they'll ha- introduce something a bit bigger uh, the weekend after I'm sure of it and so we haven't really seen these teams start to start to pull back some of that time right like we saw last season where that did happen you know you saw teams who went from back of the grid to you know fighting within the midfield and so I don't I don't necessarily think Red Bull is just going to run away with this thing I think if we get to, like, round 10, then that's the point where you're like, hey, can they win it all? Can they win every single race? That At that point, then, yes, I, I agree with you at that point. Okay. Because um, this is one of the few places where I think I really think that they might not actually have the fastest car. Like, I, I, st- I think they have the fastest car here, but I'm open to the possibility that they don't. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't see it this weekend, man. I just really, really you, don't. You don't see Red Bull winning this weekend. Not only because, like, like just from what I've seen so far this season, right? Like, we take a look at, if we really want to get nerdy about this, if you just take a look at, like, one, like, a single lap pace, I mean, Ferrari still has that, right? And then if you look at Monaco as a track, 
Okay, you can't pass there. There's no passing getting done on, <laughs> on Sunday, not unless something, like, massive happens or the rain shows up, right? Then we can probably see some passing. And then on top of all of that, when we're talking about the tires, it's just for Red Bull, the way they work within qualifying. They don't really get them activated and warmed up and ready to roll as soon as they get out to quali. And the thing with Monaco on top of that is that the tire is going to be almost junk by the time you get through a, a, a second push lap, if that's the direction you want to go in, right? So I just don't. I just don't really see it happening for them this weekend. That's not to say that they're not going to be on the podium or competing for a win or all that kind of stuff. I just think there's going to be edges going to some of the other teams, like Ferrari and particular Aston Martin. I think all that's absolutely true. But, you know, you talk about the the strength of Red Bull being in race pace and not in qualifying. They've still been on pole four out of five races. And, like, and the Azerbaijan pole was in my opinion, way more about Charles Leclerc pulling a rabbit out of his hat than uh, than anything, you know, than Ferrari, like, being closer to the pace. Carlos Sainz was almost a second off the, the pole time in Azerbaijan. And so, you know, I... I do. I agree with with everything you said. Like there are all sorts of small advantages, small things working against Red Bull and Monaco compared to other tracks. But I think their gap to to the next best team is so big to begin with that I still, you know, I'm if Leclerc does something incredible and wins, or if if this is the you know the time you know if the Aston Martin is is finally close enough that Alonso can make a difference. You know, one of those two guys winning would not shock me. But I still think Red Bull has to be the favorite just because their advantage is so big. And also, Max Verstappen hasn't really had to sweat even this season. And, like, they still have him. I still think he's not got another gear to go to, uh, based, you know, just compared to, to what he's had to do uh, so far this season. So, I don't know, like, short of him getting the red mist and freaking out and taking out Checo, like, I don't... It'll it'll we'll have to have something weird I think t- in order for Alonso or Leclerc or somebody else to to beat the Red Bulls. I think their advantage is just so huge right now. Uh, let's continue with uh, Red Bull, but in particular AlphaTauri. Yeah, um, Nick DeVries. I mean, we've talked oh, about boy. this on yeah, we talked about this on uh, SDPN before, even on the socials as well. Um, yes, and as we understand, you know, Red Bull's helmet Marco has been growing a bit frustrated with with Nick DeVries lately I can understand why I mean he does have a load of experience at F1 experience in particular not a load of but he does have F1 experience I don't I don't see him as an F1 rookie Bauman like Logan Sargent or Oscar Piastri no but it's a different yeah, yeah he did say today though that he wasn't shocked like DeVries said today he wasn't shocked by the speculation that he could be replaced at the team. I mean, how much time? Let's let's just say he's a rookie. How much time do you think? And I'll give you my opinion after. Do you think rookies should get in Formula One before, let's say, being replaced or fired? So, to, first of all, I I don't know if you remember this. This was this was like two years ago. We were potting together and talking about the Alfa Romeo seat that went to uh, Guan Yu Zhou, and. You know, I said I wanted to see somebody a little bit more interesting in that seat. 
Um, compared to, I think Antonio, we were talking about versus Antonio oh, Giovinazzi. Yeah, Giovinazzi. Sort of had his, That's right. And yeah. and I said, you know, Nick DeVries has just won Formula Two. Why doesn't he deserve a chance? And you made a face that indicated. I think it would be too polite to say this out loud, but it indicated a supreme lack of confidence in Nick DeVries' ability to hang an F1 long-term. And I was sort of skeptical, and I owe you an apology. Because early, you. <laughs> you were very right. Because early returns are not positive. Um, and even, you know, it's... That car is a dog. It's it terrible. Is. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, and, you know, he's in against a teammate who seems to be finally putting things together and Yuki yep. Tsunoda who's also driven true. like a, yep. he's been fantastic this season um he's been made to <clears throat> sorry been made to look a little foolish by comparison um and there are you know rookie faults i think Logan Sargent's been guilty of a lot of them this season uh but that can be an ex- excuse by the fact that he's so much younger and frank i I don't think he was ready for Formula One. I think in a in a perfect world he gets another season in F two uh, before he makes that jump. I think like he's a little bit undercooked, and so compared to DeVries, where you can't really make that you know make that comparison. With all that said, the fact that these rumors are, are circulating five races into into his first full F one season, even by by Red Bull standards, that's brutal. That's that's rough and you know everybody seems to like liam lawson who's doing really well in super formula right now everybody wants to see daniel ricardo back on the grid um man i think it's too early to just yeah i'll put it this way i think based on the performance this season you could be very pessimistic about the long-term potential of nick DeVries to be maybe let's say a consistent point score mm-hmm in Formula One. I think we've seen a lot of evidence and not a lot of it flatters him. Uh, but just in terms of like not being rash, not making snap decisions, you know, based on emotion, like I think a rookie like him in his situation deserves the full season, barring some catastrophe. Like if he was he's not as bad as Nikita Mazepin was a couple years ago. And like, that's the level of performance that I think would warrant bidding off a rookie a third of the way into his first season. So I, you know, I'm not holding my breath for, for him to show huge improvement. And if I were a betting man, I would probably say that, you know, somebody like Liam Lawson is probably in that seat next year, but it's too early to write him off completely. Now. I think he deserves more of a chance than he's gotten. I agree. I think he. I think he deserves a season for sure. They haven't even brought upgrades to the Alpha Tower yet. I mean, I yeah. think they're going to be having a new floor on this car soon, as well. Anyways, and that may change some things for Nick. At the same point, Yuki's also performing very well. Obviously, yeah, and it's great. It's great to see. I mean, obviously, um, fighting for his seat in Formula One at the same time and. You know he's he's doing really well, and the thing with Nick is is that he just does have he's he's not your I already kind of said it, but like he's just not your normal rookie, right? Like he's just he's not. He's got he's got way more experience than most rookies have when they come into Formula One, and that's why I was a little shocked to see how he's, he's two kind of and a half off. years older than Max Verstappen. Yeah, he's yeah. two and a half years older than Max Verstappen. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, 
drivers are drivers at the end of the day, right? Like, yeah. I think you're either going to get it or you're not. And I think for for Nick, I think it's just going to take a little bit more time, and and then we'll really start to see what we have here. I think going to tracks that you don't know that is you know re- you know really against you as a rookie. I mean. For Nick, he's gone to a lot of tracks right now that he doesn't know. And so the next round of racetracks coming up, he's going to know them a little bit better. Maybe not Canada, but he knows Monaco, he knows Spain. We'll get a better understanding of what's going on there. Uh, In terms of like a rookie rookie, so if I just look at Logan Sargent, Oscar Piastri, I don't... I don't think for them it's like one year and you're you're gone. I think I think for newer rookies who are coming up from Formula Two and they don't have a at all any F one experience, I think for I think for them it just takes a lot longer as we've seen in the past. Like it it's not one year, it's like two, maybe three for some. And so that's why it's kinda like I look at Logan and I see like there's a lot of potential and He's extremely fast. He's extremely talented. And I think it just needs a couple things to go his way and yeah. for him to start figuring out a few things here and there. And I think he's going to be fine. The only questionable, not questionable, but the only worrying thing that I saw was Miami and just the gap, the lap delta between Alex and Logan in Miami where Australia was a little bit different. Saudi Arabia, Logan was really strong there. And that, that's a track that's like as a rookie in a formula one car man like that's a it's the last it's Ooh. it's the circuit i would least want to drive yeah out of, <laughs> out of everything that's on the and he, the and, he this year. and he did really well and so i think you know monaco is going to be a little bit different but i think as the season rolls along i i'm not too worried about logan i really am not just yet i mean i haven't seen enough at the same time but i'm not yeah. too concerned about and logan. he and piastri are also like the fact that they're in their early 20s, the fact that both of them have been picked up by, you know, F1 teams saw fit to to really invest in them as juniors. And, you know, they brought in, they've been brought in both of them with like the implicit understanding it's not entirely about this year. You know, I yeah. think maybe not Piastri, but I think Sargent, like there is a floor of performance that he could hit where, you know, he drives his way out of a seat. But I don't think he's there. I don't think he's trending that way. But I think both Williams with Sargent and McLaren with Piastri have a lot of incentive to be patient with those guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, in a way that AlphaTauri, like, Nick DeVries was, like, their fourth choice. You know, and he's basically a mid-career driver who had no little or no connection to the team beforehand. Like, he's, a, you know, he's a hired hand. He's there doing, doing a job. And I think it's different when... You know, you certainly look at McLaren and Piastri and what McLaren, the 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 lengths that they went to to get him in the team, and then Williams, you know, promoting Sergeant from their young driver program. Like those guys are part of the family, and I think mm-hmm. it's different in terms of the standards that they're held to right off the bat. Volteri Bottas. Uh, this is one of the cooler stories that kind of came out for uh, media day. I actually really enjoyed this one. Uh, And I texted you about it like immediately when I found out. So let's take everyone through the story here. Uh, So, you know, Volteri was due to drive to Imola for the, the Grand Prix, but once it got canceled, he didn't have anything to do. So his girlfriend, Tiffany Cromwell, she's a professional cyclist and she was in Scotland competing in a, a gravel uh, cycling race. It was like a World Series, a World Championship event. So some big time cyclists 
uh, intra-athletes actually were competing in this yeah. thing. So Bottas was able to get himself a spot in the event. In the event, he was able to get him a spot, get himself a spot. So like right away, like you've got to be pretty confident with your fitness. Uh, and I'm a big triathlete guy. Like I'm training for one that's going to happen here in August. And like I used to compete in the log of um, Ironman, half Ironman, tried to get my pro card at one point when I was driving race cars. I was using triathlon to train and get in shape. So I understand I've trained with a lot of pros. And so I understand like the level of like fitness that these pros have. Bottas gets himself a spot in this cycling event. And Olympic triathlete Alistair Brownlee uh, was in the event. And this guy's, like, very fast. Like, Brownlee's resume, he's, uh, I mean, two-time gold medal winner in the Olympic distance, ITU world champion, ETU you know, championship title. Um He's a good enough triathlete. So, I know who he is. Yeah, like, silver. <laughs> like, he got silver in Ironman 70.3 World Championships in 2018, 2019. Still hasn't done well at the longer distance Ironman uh, distance. But his cycling, right? You have to be a top-level cyclist. You've got to be an incredible swimmer, and you've got to be an incredible runner. But you, your cycling has so important because it's a huge weapon in triathlon. And Bottas beats the guy at this World Championship <laughs> event on uh, on the weekend, dude. Like, unbelievable. It just shows you how fit, like, a lot of these drivers are. Yeah. But, dude... I couldn't believe it, man. Like some people may just sit there and be like, "Yeah, big deal, whatever." I'm like, "No, that's gravel a huge, racing is huge like deal. the is like the hot, trendy thing in in cycling now." You know, yeah. a lot of the pros are are moonlighting yep. it at these races, yep. and you know, just the the big one in Kansas and you know all over the place. It's turning into like its own little niche event. So, but like yeah, if, hugely impressive to to be like any kind of actual endurance athlete in in a cycling race is is just massive now like you had like replied back to me i mean if this were a triathlon it would be a different well story. i said if he if he's good at running and swimming then then he's in business but <laughs> for sure um we have some questions on on twitter uh we'll is run it, through them is it botas's ex-wife an olympic swimmer uh yeah i think she was uh i'm not sure if she still is but yes i believe she was an olympic swimmer yes so Crazy man. Um, let's see. His here. next We're partner is going to be a, a marathoner. By <laughs> uh, from Jesse Blake. Moving on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are the Mercedes upgrades overhyped, or could they really challenge Red Bull? Uh, great question. Too early to tell, and yeah. I don't think so. It's a, sort of a two-part answer there. For yeah, Jesse. I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're overhyped because I don't know if anybody reasonably expects them to to really close that gap all at once. And I don't think it's about closing the gap this year. I think it's about proof of concept for the direction that they're going to go in next. Yeah. And so, you know, how useful they're going to end up being, I think, will be partially about the lap time, but also what they learn about the aerodynamics and what the 24 car is going to eventually end up looking like. From... Uh Patridge Sherman, which team or driver from the bottom five has the best oh. chance to steal some points in Monaco? I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Williams. McLaren, right? You, you know, you're all down. Well, okay, actually, you know what? 
I like McLaren. Oh, McLaren's technically not in the bottom five anymore. They're they're ahead yeah. of Alpine on countback now. Yeah, countback. That's right. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say either McLaren or Williams are, are, are in line for some points here. What do you think? I could see. Yeah, I could see that. You know, give me like a huge Hulk qualifying lap. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hanging on by the ragged edge, you yeah, know, coming okay. in sixth or seventh or something. Yep. Yeah, okay. I'm with that. I'm with that, too. From uh, Stephen Clary, top picks for the Indy 500. Do we get a winner from the top 12 as usual, or do we see a midfield challenger with how quick the entire field was during qualifying and arguably the fastest field we've seen yet? Yes, the qualifying... Um, for IndyCar, the Indy 500 was incredible last weekend. If you didn't see it, the numbers are are nuts. I was seeing like the the bump day numbers. It, oh. it was like 229. I was like, oh, that's about how fast everybody's going. And, like the pole time was what like 234 and change. Yeah, something like yeah. that. I want to say 230.2 or something like that, if I remember correctly by by below. But yeah. dude, these guys are flying this year. But again, then you have your qualifying trim and you have your your race trim, so they are a little bit different. The speeds aren't going to be, you know, it's more along the lines of like how good of a race car do you have? And I think Pato Award or someone from the Aero McLaren team is going to yeah. be the driver who wins the Indy 500. The McLarens have been awesome. Incredibly fast. Um, you know, I know yeah, I know, like, Alex Pelot's been quick. I think, you know, you can't really ever count out Scott Dixon, but I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think, like, the Mc- McLaren's been so impressive. They had a really good performance as a team on the the road course. Pato almost won. Mm-hmm. Was it last year or the year before that? Where he, uh, last year, yeah. Last year, won. yeah. He, yep. Him and going up against Marcus Erickson. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think Pato's a good call. If I had to pick somebody else, I don't know. Alex Rossi and another McLaren, I guess, if, if I had to, to go with somebody else. But, yeah, I think it would make sense for, for Pato to be probably the favorite. Alex Rossi grabbing his second IndyCar, Indy 500 uh, win from Nick Ignatov. Do you think the lack of tunnel time will affect Red Bull as early as this year in terms of teams catching up to them, or will it not make a difference until next year? That's a good question. We were literally just talking about that on the show. Yeah. Hey, um, I, Honestly, I don't think it's going to affect them until next season, just considering how competitive this car has been straight out of the gate. Uh, and I think once we get to next season, then we'll have a better understanding how this uh, sporting penalty affected them. That's what I think. I've been really interested to, and I guess we'll never really know with any kind of precision how much they've decided, like how they decide to allot that time. Cause they're in a hole in terms of development anyway, just because they won the constructors championship mm-hmm. last year. Uh, and taking this further hit, I think what I was sort of hoping for was somebody would challenge them this year and force them to continue to develop to the end. I mean, I guess we'll get through this first round or two of upgrades and, and see where things shake out. But yeah. You know, I think yeah, I've joked about Red Bull running the table. I think the thing that will probably prevent them from doing that is they have a stronger incentive than any team has ever had to ship focus to the forthcoming season yeah. um, as soon as possible. So I think like it's possible they could end up building up such a huge lead in the first half of the year that they can weather that penalty really without skipping a beat. I think that's 
what I would expect to happen at this point. This one's for you, Bowman, from Jim at Hockey in Ottawa. Is this the year Charlotte Claire breaks his Monaco curse? <laughs> yeah, he started the question, is this the year Charlotte Claire breaks? And uh, yes. <laughs> there he you go. He's going gonna to break the Monaco curse. Uh, from Richard Mercia. Whoa, this is a big one. Uh, does Honda working with Aston Martin make sense from a PR perspective? Uh, yes. Like, yeah, Aston Martin doesn't make its own engines, right? They buy, for the road cars, they buy, like, so BMWs AMG, or, Well, yeah, I think, like, Mercedes, part, of their, yeah. part of their thing for Aston Martin, the road cars, and they've been doing this for actually quite a while, I think AMG builds, uh, builds the V8s, and then I think the V12 that was used in the, the Valkyrie, that, I think, was made from Cosworth. But for most of their cars, yeah, I think Mercedes AMG does does their engines. Um, yeah, and the the question kind of continues. I, I I looked at a news article in 2021 about Red Bull. Honda hardly ever gets mentioned in them. If Red Bull pushes Honda away, won't a strong brand like Aston Martin do this as well and even take away credit from Honda? While, in fact, Aston Martin has zero engineering influence as a sponsor. I I don't really agree with the premise of the question. I don't think yeah, Red Bull really pushed Honda away. It feels like either. they were... Yeah. Well, remember, remember they got their first win with, with Red Bull. I mean, Verstappen yeah. was literally on the podium. He held out his suit and like literally was pointing at the Honda emblem for the entire... Shoot, that was such like a, a huge deal for shoot. them. Yeah. Oh, it was massive. Yeah, yeah. And they brought I mean, up Honda personnel from a and PR uh, perspective. I think the real thing, like Honda, with like I was going to say an all time bag fumbling in terms of when they decided to quit F one after twenty twenty one. But it's not even the worst timed F one exit they've made in the twenty first century. So yeah. it's a, a crowded field. But in terms of like how much PR mileage they got out of Max Verstappen, and like you know. They were comparing the the Honda Verstappen relationship to the Honda Ayrton Senna relationship. Like it's, I I think that was a, a very very successful um, commercial partnership. And in terms of like how it works with with Aston Martin, I think it's a little maybe there's a little bit of branding congruity with a very like old money European sports car brand working with a Japanese engine manufacturer. But like a lot of those boutique sports car companies. You know, they like we were talking about, like buy engines off the shelf or work with more specialized companies to to get the power plant and the the car manufacturer just builds like the chassis and and you know the bodywork and stuff. And so I don't think that there's maybe there's a little bit of branding congruity in terms of what you think of with Aston Martin and Honda, but I you know, you overcome that with a TV commercial. Mm-hmm. Or you overcome that with you know, picture of Fernando Alonso if he's still around. Like mm-hmm. you know, like you said, pointing to the to the Honda uh, stitching on its on his coveralls after a win. So I don't think that's a big issue. And I mean, Verstappen actually talked about it today, Thursday at uh, during media day, where he actually he's upset that Honda is not going to be a part of Red Bull moving forward. I mean, obviously they're getting Ford coming in for 2026, but at the same time. You know, you made a great point at the relationship you know Verstappen had or has with with Honda. I mean, that's a that's a great point that you make. Um, thanks everyone.
for your Twitter questions. We uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, Bauman, this has been fun, like always, man. Let everybody know yeah. what you got going on and where they can find your stuff. Uh, well, you can find me at Fangraphs.com. Uh, if you are a regular reader of intelligent baseball commentary and also my stuff, uh, I would urge you to consider purchasing a membership where you get all sorts of cool perks and, and ad-free browsing and stuff. Um, I've also got a freelance piece up recently at Sports Illustrated about the Michigan move. Uh, so I dipped my toe into the world of hockey and talked to uh, Philip Forsberg and Logan Cooley and some of the guys, you know, creative uh, younger hockey players who are uh, – pushing the, the physical boundaries of the sport. So that's up at Sports Illustrated. I would encourage you to, to go check that out as well. And follow me on Twitter at Michael Bauman. That's awesome. Thanks very much, man, for coming on. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Nailing the Apex. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Uh, let us know how we're doing because, honestly, it really helps us a lot. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney, and we'll talk to you all later. <laughs>